This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast, episode 135. Good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster, and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jamie Davis. This podcast is exactly what we say it is in the title, folks. It's a show where we focus on everything to do with fantasy and sci-fi books. We talk about all sorts of things, epic fantasy, space opera, sci-fi of pure science background, urban fantasy, swords and sorcery, you name it. We've got it all here on the show. And my plan is to bring you the best and brightest authors from all the various corners of the book world here to you on each episode. Kicking off things this week, let's go ahead and get in with my own personal writing update. Still finishing up the editing for Paramedics Amazon, and I'm hoping to get that out to the editor by the end of this week. Just a lot of things. I went on vacation last week, um, enjoyed some family time uh, with a a beach trip. Um, We kept our social distance and all that other stuff, um, but it was a good time to get away. And I had planned to do some work while I was there, but, you know, it just uh, turned out I didn't. And that was a good thing. I think I needed a little bit of a break. So I'll be jumping back in this week with the wrap-up of the edits for that book and then get it off to the editor and proofreaders in the next few days. Um, That's book eight in my Extreme Medical Services series about supernatural paramedics and uh, everything they do. So you can check that out. Um, And of course, this next book will be coming out next month in October. As soon as uh, that's finished, I'll be writing on my next project, which is a continuation of the Accidental Champion series. I'll pick up where Carrie and her parents left off in Phantasma. And of course, when things are going wrong in that world, only the Dix family can sort it out for them. So let's go ahead and um, look forward to that. I'm, I'm actually really excited to dig back into that world. You can check out everything I'm up to, more information about upcoming books, sneak peeks of covers, special giveaways, and a lot more. Check out the group over on Facebook, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers. Uh, we, we talk about all sorts of fantasy things there, not just my books, but other people's books, uh, stories we enjoy, movies we enjoy, all over at Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers. So join the group over on Facebook. I'd love to see you there. You can also check out my website at jamiedavisbooks.com. I look forward to hearing from you wherever you leave a comment or reach out to me. I always get back to you. So uh, please don't hesitate if you have a question or something you'd like to chat about. Okay, joining this week on the show is going to be our author, Chris Russell. Christopher is a 27-year-old mechanical and aerospace engineer. He's a graduate of the University of Virginia who has loved reading since the day he first picked up a book, and he's been writing since he could scrawl his first letters. After voraciously consuming titles from every genre, ranging from Star Wars to Lord of the Rings, he decided to combine the expertise from his professional education, his passions, and his Christian faith into a fantasy epic bridging the gap between magic and science. He currently resides in Charlottesville, Virginia with his loyal dog, Valen, named after the protagonist in his first book. Let's go ahead and chat with Christopher right now and find out more about what he's up to. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. It's great to be here, Jamie. Thank you for having me. So why don't you take a few moments and share with our audience a little bit about yourself and your background and introduce yourself to the readers listening to the show. 
So as Jamie introduced me, I'm Christopher Russell. I am author of the fantasy epic Divinity's Twilight Rebirth. It's now available in ebook and physical formats. The uh, proper physical release for that is September 22nd, but you can get that now through all ebook platforms and my website, ChristopherRussellAuthor.com. My background is actually in mechanical and aerospace engineering with a specialization in biomechanical engineering. And I like to weave a lot of that into my uh, magic systems. On the technology side, we have MagTech, which is more focused on physics and chemistry and thermodynamics. And then on the far side with what people can do with normal casting with uh, Monero that's in their blood, uh, it's a very hard magic system after the style of uh, Sanderson or some of the other modern greats that are writing in that same style. And so what I've tried to do is to take my professional expertise and translate it over into a fictional world. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback on the world building, the characters, and everything that's going on with the magic system. And this is your first book. I mean, it just came out in June. So uh, pretty exciting to kind of have this out there and get such a such a big response from folks. Uh, and, and I'm really intrigued to get into a little bit more about the magic system and how you develop that, um, and, as well as the technology juxtaposition, because there aren't a lot of... Um, there aren't a lot of worlds developed. They're either magic and old medieval or they're modern and magic, you know, doesn't eclipse the, the, um, the technology, but you've got a, a system where things are kind of have evolved side by side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that I started out and this isn't actually related to uh, engineering. Uh, well, it is tangentially because of the really neat story that goes along with it. So I was sitting in a uh, second year thermodynamics lecture at the University of Virginia, and I should have been paying attention to my professor. But instead of listening to the lecture on whatever it was, I flipped over my handout and I started doodling a map. And I drew all the peninsulas, the seas, the oceans, and that became the continent of Lazaria that is the foundation for Divinity's Twilight Rebirth. And so I started off with uh, geopolitics, with uh, what people need to survive, whether they settled along rivers and forests and mountains, uh, developed the races from there, that they were very focused on the geography. And you can see that we're, we're far away from that engineering standpoint that then came in later. So, so once I had established how they were going to come up with their civilizations and how they were going to develop throughout the centuries, then as we entered the uh, quote-unquote modern era, for this world, that's when the technology started to come into play. Um, the main resources in this world are of three different types. Uh, you have Illyrium, which is the most common, Illyriite, which is essentially supercharged Illyrium, and then Elysium, which is a mythological, omnipotent, wish-granting stone, that it is essentially uh, more of a plot device or a thematic device than anything that an ordinary person would be using or putting into their technology. So we fall back to Illyrium. Illyrium uh, is a, a magic crystal. It glows yellow when it's charged. And it exists in mines beneath the, wor- beneath the, the ground. You have to go in, and uh, this is my, my family has a, a bit of a mining background, so that's where that comes into play. And uh, discussing the, the ramifications of that on society, your pollution, uh, your resource disputes. Uh, two of my races are bitterly embroiled in a, a resource dispute over the largest delirium deposit in the world. Uh, but it, what it does is Monaire is the, the quality of magic. People can either, all, well, all creatures that uh, exist and all things, even, even rocks, stones, inanimate objects, have Monaire in them. And they all have a different quality of it and a different degree to which they possess it. 
And then sentient creatures can use it, but not all of them can, that there's an extra property that's introduced as the story goes along that allows you to either wield Monair or not. And if you can't, you're known as a phlebilis, based on the word feeble, weak, uh, timid, that you're not, you're not up to snuff. And back in ancient history, many of the races would just kill those kind of people because they wanted to have genetic superiority. They wanted magic to be prevalent in their bloodlines. But in the, in the modern era, it's not frowned upon as much because magtech technology has risen to the degree that it is, that an ordinary person can combat somebody that is innately powerful in the magic system. And what magtech does is um, the Illyrium draws in ambient Monero from its environment, and it essentially performs a multiplicative process on it. It returns more than it starts with. Awesome renewable energy source until the Illyrium breaks down, until it degrades. Uh, and so you take Illyrium, you put it into a vat of water, and it'll start agitating the water. You can collect that with turbines. You can get steam energy from that. It's, it's almost like what we do with uh, nuclear power. And I view Illyrium as sort of like uranium, except for it doesn't give off radiation, that you're not going to poison the people using it. And so in a way, um, my world of Lazaria, at least the modern age, is what we could get to where you either with radiation you're not hurting people or you're not burning fossil fuels you're not creating pollution but of course because they have this fantastic resource that provides all this energy in addition to coming up with electricity and generators and telescribers and radio and awesome like world war one to modern day inventions they've also come up with these great lumbering battleships that float through the sky that exert power that you have aircraft carriers in the sky, that um, it, it's lent itself to the military-industrial complex as much as it's lent itself to economics and innovation. So there's a lot of fun playing around with that. You definitely have put the time in to do the world building on this, this particular universe. It, I, I can hear it um, just in all the detail that you've been able to describe because um, you know, some people – tend to like have, have a, a base, a very basic idea of their magic system and they discover it as they go along. But, um, I, I it doesn't surprise me given your engineering background that you wouldn't want to have this pretty much mapped out before you uh, got started. Um, what about the story itself? The, the, you know, the characters and, and the, the understanding of, of what's going on between them. Uh, how did that develop? Uh, is this something you've been working on for a long time or, um, you said started getting some of these ideas together in, in, a, in a class a few years ago. Um, where, what about the characters? How did they come about? Well, that foundational moment uh, with the map was actually uh, seven or eight years ago. And I set out to write a few chapters. I did the prologue. I did the first two chapters. And I thought to myself, well, I'm really busy with all this engineering work. I have homework. I have projects. I have um, a, a very minor social life. Engineers don't have a major social life. Uh, but I thought to myself, well, I really enjoy writing. I enjoy creating this world, but it's sort of work that there is an aspect to it that you have to sit down and force yourself to put words on a page. And I set it aside. There, there was more fun things I wanted to do with that time. And then about four years ago, I picked it back up again uh, because I just wanted to write a book that um, I had read something that inspired me. It was a book about getting to yes, to just doing whatever you, your ambitions are, your goals. 
And I wrote, I sat down and I wrote like 20 single spaced word document pages that day. It, it was transcendent. And the rest of the, the universe, the plot just spiraled off from there. And what we have with uh, Divinity's Twilight Rebirth is that there's an inciting incident. There's um, a foundation to this universe. And that occurs 700 years before all this amazing technology has developed. And it's a very medieval style world. And in this world, uh, three Terran brothers, Terrans are the human stand-in among the seven races of Lazaria. Uh, three Terran brothers discover Illyriite, the more powerful version of Illyrium that doesn't break down, that is going to take their magic and make it tenfold as powerful. That they are going to be able to be demigods in this world and shape it as they will. And these three Terran brothers had a horrible upbringing. You're going to read more about it in, in the book. And out of this, they all developed in different ways, much like a, a, a human psyche might whenever they're exposed to, to extreme stress. The eldest brother decides that he's going to do to the world what the world did to him, that he is going to use force to enforce peace, that if somebody is standing at the top, then things are naturally going to fall into line. The middle brother, uh, the top brother, the eldest brother is Sarkon, the middle brother Darmatus, uh, decides they compromise and understanding the things that they didn't have in their life are the, the path to peace, that they need to bring all the races together and have basically a, a summit to work through their differences. And then the youngest brother is the, the capitalist. He believes that innovation and invention, that if people are so focused on prosperity and achieving the next great thing, the next great product, that they are going to have time for war because they're going to have thrown themselves into a, a, a different type of conflict, a, a different type of uh, progress. And the, the two younger brothers eventually come into conflict with the third. The, the rest of the races take a side, and Sarkhan's eventually defeated, but not before trying to destroy the world with his last breath because he's gathered the seven pieces of Elysium that I mentioned earlier that he sacrifices his soul to them, uh, his time and his magic and his energy, in order to, to rip the world asunder and try to create everything anew, to become a new god. Well, they, they thwart that plan, but 700 years later, the, the survivors of that battle, the people that didn't perish in that final cataclysmic event, um, they've taken the dreams of the brothers and pushed them to their extremes, essentially. And so the three Terran states, the Sarconian Empire, the Raban Imperium, and the Kingdom of Dharmatia have been embroiled in conflict for almost 700 years. And then the, the story in the modern era follows a, a sudden change, that, that um, something that, that was left over from that battle reemerges and takes a side. And um, we follow a group of uh, eight cadets from different races that have come to the neutral Kingdom of Dharmatia military academy in order to train, in order to learn and master their magic, and eventually go back to their home states in the middle of this conflict. Uh, but that something there's going to be an inciting incident that makes things go awry, that dashes our hero's plans. The best, the best kind of uh, in events, of course, in our books, mm -hmm. right? Um, because without them, we'd have nothing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And that that's that's it, that's exciting. I mean, I'm I'm I just started reading it and and it drew me in right away just with the prologue. Um so I haven't even gotten through, mm -hmm. you know, I've I've gotten almost to the I think the end of the, you know, the the battle and the war that, mm -hmm. that leads into everything. Um but it's it's an incredibly rich world already and then as I was reading the description and realized that there was going to be technology introduced and all the other things, I'm really looking forward to getting farther into the story. 
And um, mm-hmm. you just kind of, you know, caught me up in it even more with, with the idea of <laughs> these cadets and, and what they're going to have to to go through um my mind's whirling so uh what about the you know what do you have planned i mean this is uh quite an ambitious project you've got so much invested in this universe um it, well, how, what kind of um outlook do you have for the remaining parts of this series is it a trilogy is it um is it open-ended or what do you have going on so this is a fun story i don't think i've actually told this one on an interview before uh, so four years ago, when I sat down to write Divinity's Twilight Rebirth, and Rebirth itself took me about a year, and I finished uh, book two in the meantime, and book three, so book two is out to beta readers, book three is what I'm working on now alongside a standalone project, which I'll talk more about later. Uh, but when I sat down to write it, it was originally intended to be a trilogy. And um, I pitched when when I went in to produce this uh, with the small press publisher that I'm with, I'm working James Publishing. Um, I pitched the, the um, it as a, a trilogy originally, and the I wrote the entire outline, the entire plot out through the end of that. Well, the interesting thing is that Rebirth, which was supposed to end with the end of that outline, was is now a third of the original part of that outline. So what was a trilogy, if I was to keep the same pace, would now be nine books. And so what I've done is I've redone my outline um, with that climatic event now at the, the end of book three, the, the, the massive turning point in the, the first story arc. And I've split Divinity's Twilight into uh, basically two sequences. The first one is going to be six books, and then there's going to be a definitive conclusion with a few hanging plot threads. And then there's going to be a second four-book series with a, a different branding title connected to Divinity's Twilight that is going to conclude the saga. Exciting. And, and I like the idea of writing everything in the same world, you know, to kind of carry through. Um, well, you said you mentioned a standalone project, so now you've piqued my interest. Um, you've got something else on the side that you're working on? So my idea is that this is going, Denise Twilight is the through line to my universe. Um, I have a, a name to the universe. I have a general basis for magic powers throughout this universe. And I also have uh, essentially uh, characters or Easter eggs and different things that are going to interrelate them that are running around that are either doing good things or that are causing problems. And so this standalone project is going to take place in another world in a tangential time to Divinity's Twilight, but it's going to be within the same uh, master overall universe. And it is going to be an Asian fantasy. It's going to be um, essentially a combination of like Chinese and Japanese feudal cultures. Uh, It's going to take place, uh, if you were to put it on our timeline, it would be about uh, 17 to 1800, um, probably closer to the 1700 side. And so you're going to have a substitute gunpowder, and you're also going to have a magic system that is based on mechanical engineering principles. Uh, it's actually going to be based on thermodynamics put into a magic system. Interesting. Well, mm-hmm. um, so um, it, will that be a series as well, or is that just going to be a standalone project um, by itself? So it's a standalone. Uh, my goal is to possibly do other trilogies, other standalones while I'm working on Divinity's Twilight. And the idea is just smart marketing, so to speak, that if you're going to have a six book and a four book and a total 10 book series, that there is going to be series fatigue. That if, if you're trying to release a book every year to two years in that, uh, people aren't going to want to wait or they're going to want to wait until you have 
four or five books written and then hop into the series because I know that I myself like to stick with characters as long as possible, that you, you basically want to live alongside them, that you, you don't want the adventure to stop, and people hate cliffhangers. Not saying that Divinity's Twilight Rebirth has a cliffhanger ending. Uh, the, the main arc with the cadets wraps up, and then there is a hook for book two that is explosive intrigue that uh, basically is an upheaval in the world that is, is going to change things. Uh, but my uh, ambition with the standalone is to give people a completed version of my work, something that they can read from start to finish. It's going to be a complete story and that they will be able to understand that I'm not only able to create a great world and a great jumping off point, but that you're able to hit the finish line, that you're able to bring things home. And that's something a lot of publishers, agents, and especially readers want to see, that they want to know that there's going to be a satisfying conclusion at the end of everything. You know, there are readers out there that are very, um, very focused on waiting until the book is, the series is finished. Um, mm -hmm. I know when I have wrapped up a couple of series, uh, I've, I've seen readers come out of the woodwork that have been <laughs> waiting for that. You know, they, they haven't read, you know, they haven't even read book one. They're just waiting and to make sure I finish it because they don't want to invest their time and energy. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, so maybe we've seen a bit of that somebody in the industry. like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what about, um, you know, you, how you're, um, you know, you just got started, you just released this book, um, but you've got a presence online and, you know, you've got your website and your Facebook page and things like that. Um, have you been able to interact with any readers since the release in June? I have been able to interact with a lot of readers. Um, my launch team was fantastic. Uh, people I know, people I didn't know. I've met so many fantastic readers. Um, the online Facebook communities, Indie Fantasy Addicts, uh, Fantasy Faction, uh, Fantasy Book Review. There's, there's a ton of great communities and wonderful people that I've met. Um, Novel Notions, uh, Patrick Leo over in uh, Indonesia has been a, a great support. Uh, but they're, it, people have sort of latched onto this. They, they, they love the cover. They love the blurb. They hopped in. They really enjoyed the universe, the characters, the world building. And I, people always come back and say they, they rave about the combination of magic and technology, that that is the, the key selling point for them in Divinity's Twilight. And I just love having conversations with people that come back and talk about that, doing interviews like this where people are able to see me well, not literally in this interview since it's a podcast, but that they're able to to get to know me as a person, as an author. And that I, I think that that's very critical to writing is that we're not just the words on, a, on the page, but we're also living, breathing people. That you, you're not some ambiguous or amorphous voice in the cloud, so to speak. It's, it's so it's so nice to be an author at this time. Um I've, I've talked to a few authors who've been around for 30, 40 years. Um, people like uh, Kevin J. Anderson and some others that I've chatted mm -hmm. with over the years. And, you know, they, they talk about, you know, what it used to be like when you had to, you know, you never heard from readers unless you were at a convention um, doing mm -hmm. book signings or something like that. Otherwise, you know, occasionally your publisher would forward fan mail, um, but not always. Uh, and so when they got, when they started being able to have their own websites, their own presence where fans could find them, 
it kind of changed everything. And I think social media has expanded that even farther. So uh, look forward to, uh, I think you're going to get a good response. Um, it sounds like you've already gotten some of that, but uh, it, it's very gratifying to be able to have a reader reach out to you directly and, and share what connected with them because it's always something different and they pick up on different things. Sometimes things that you didn't even realize you'd insert it into the story. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, hidden meanings that your subconscious kind of slipped in there and it made sense to somebody. Um, and, and that's kind of special. So I, you know, I look forward to that for you because I think it's going to be exciting as, as pe- more people discover this series. Uh when you get to it, it's it's in the middle of the story. There's a climactic moment um, during a, a big battle sequence, and it, it's an important character moment for one of the cadets. And I wrote it as sort of a as I want people to interpret it as they will to to put themselves in the character's head and, and find out about them. And that is something that a lot of people have honed in on, that they've said that they've identified with this character, that they, they really like the story that they, that they were telling what's going on with them. And that, like you said, that's been very gratifying that just for people to, to pick up on that little tidbit. I'll keep an eye out for it. That's exciting. Um, as far as you go, um, where can folks find you directly online? Um, what's a good place for them to start connecting with you? Uh, easiest place is my website. That's ChristopherRussellAuthor.com. Uh, Christopher and Russell spelled like they are on the book or on the uh, links in this podcast. Uh, there is going to be my Facebook, Divinity's Twilight Fantasy Novels. Uh, my Instagram is Christopher underscore Russell underscore author. And then my Twitter is impossible to pronounce because Twitter gave me a funky user handle. So the best way to get to that is the links in my website if you want to go through Twitter. Uh, aside from that, you can find me on any of dozen different ebook platforms. And then uh, Divinity's Twilight Rebirth is going to be in stores, hopefully uh, September 22nd. Fantastic. Well, I hope people will jump out and get the uh, ebooks. Uh, the ebook to start with, if, if they if they want to get the um, the paperback when it comes out, that'll be exciting too uh, for them. But uh, you know the book's available now in ebook format, and I hope people will go check it out. Uh, Christopher, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it, it's great to have you on, and maybe as you uh, move forward in the series down the road, um, we'd love to have you back to kind of find out what's happening next. Absolutely, thank you, Jamie. This has been a pleasure. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I hope you'll catch up with us for a whole lot more from the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Focus community, both on Facebook and over at fantasy-focus.com. While you're over there, leave a comment on this episode page. Um, Also, while you're over there, don't forget you can subscribe to the show. There are links to subscribe in iOS or Android, whatever your favorite mobile device is. Uh, Even by email, that link is right below the audio player at the top of the page. So uh, go ahead and check that out. We have some pretty awesome authors already scheduled for the next few months. Our next guest author is Kevin Potter, and you won't want to miss his episode. That's it for this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook at Jamie Davis Books or in the group Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers. And of course, at my website where you can find a listing of all my books, 
jamiedavisbooks.com. Whatever you do, though, subscribe. Come back here for the next episode. And of course, in the meantime, don't forget, because I remind you every week, keep your eyes open, folks. There's magic all around you.